Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between just one more cupcake and just one more kettlebell swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And Daphne is not here this week because I am here with a special guest who I will introduce momentarily. Before we begin, make sure to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. And because of the particular nature of today's show, neither of us are doctors. So go see your doctor if you think anything is happening with your brain. Don't trust us. Uh, if you are interested in anything we're talking about on the show and uh, you maybe listen to it while you're working out or driving or something and you're like, ah, there was that thing from Just One More that I wanted to remember and now I don't remember, sign up for our mailing list. Uh, we'll have links to um, the book that we're talking about today. We always have links to um, resources we talk about in the show. Um, so you can sign up for our mailing list on our website, which is justonemorepodcast.com. There's a little box on the right-hand side where you put in your email, and we email you twice a month. It's super chill, just like I am. Um, so uh, to introduce our guest, uh, welcome to Mimi Hayes. Hi, Mimi. Hi, thank you. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I guess I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name's Mimi, and I am an author and comedian, and I live in New York City, and during the day, I take care of small children, so sure. I do that, um, but yeah, I'm just having a great time. Great. Um, and you are here because uh, of an experience that you had, which is like the most minimalist way <laughs> to talk about it. An experience you had that you um, then wrote a book about it. Um, the book is called I'll Be Okay, It's Just a Hole in My Head. Um, <laughs> so speaking of holes in your head, um, you survived a brain injury. I did, yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Wow, yes. It was great. I mean, that whole thing, yeah. Um, so uh, that's what we're talking about today is your experience um, with what happened, how you found out about it, how you recovered, um, and how all that stuff works. Um, and if you are interested in Mimi's story, which you should be, the book is really great. Um, it's available on Amazon and other bookie places, um, and, and we'll point you toward it again later. Um, so... Brain injury is a very scary uh, set of words. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you're here talking to me today, so we can say, like, spoiler alert, she's here. <laughs> yes. So you don't have to freak out too much listening to the episode. Um, but uh, when did you first start to suspect that something was going weird with your health? Yeah. So uh, 2014, I had just graduated college, which had its own set of, you know, anxiety and what am I doing with my life and that kind of thing. Uh, I started my student teaching semester in Denver, Colorado, and I was five days in, and I was just getting kind of clumsy, like more so than usual. Um, my ears were kind of throbbing, and to me, I was like, oh, I'm getting sick, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm beginning the school year, like, new kids in the classroom, new germs, um, this is just, like, how this goes, and... Come to find out that this was kind of not the normal thing and went in and saw a couple different doctors um, who all like misdiagnosed me <laughs> um, with all kinds of different things like, oh, it's uh, ear infection or you got something behind your ears or you're just, you're depressed. You're just 22. You're just depressed. So I was like, um, okay, uh, maybe or something else is going on. 
Um, so we finally uh, got an MRI and they found a little clump of cells in my noggin. That's the, t- the medical term. <laughs> clump of cells in the noggin. Clump O cells. Uh, no, it's called a cavernous angioma. Ooh. Yeah. And it can happen like anywhere in your body. So it doesn't Great. have to happen in your brain, but I was lucky. Um, so they're like, hey, you had a brain hemorrhage. Um, which to me, I was like, how does that even happen? Like, where does that come from? Um, cause obviously I was pretty stressed, you know, as a sure. new teacher, but to me, I was like, I didn't, I didn't do anything to make this happen. Like I was just watching Netflix probably like what's going on. So that was kind of like the diagnosis part of it was just kind of something was off and it was definitely serious. Um, so early on, when you were first seeing doctors, when they were telling you like, oh, it's, you know, it's vertigo or like whatever, ear infection, whatever, did that ring true to you? Or did you, it's probably hard to remember now having been through this like crazy thing that it turned out to be. But what was your experience in those first few doctor visits? Because I ask because I think a lot of people, especially women, have experiences of going to the doctor and feeling like either they're not heard or they're not taken seriously or their pain isn't taken seriously. But also, like, they're the doctor. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know anything. If they say it's an ear infection, it's probably an ear infection. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. And I was so young. I'm still young. But I was really young and I just didn't know... I was not aware about my body at all. Mm -hmm. And so when a trained medical professional just tells you that you're just depressed, I was kind of like, well, I'm not really sure that I believe you, but I guess I'll just go with that. Uh Um, And and unfortunately, that's just what I was believing. And if it were not for my mother, who was like, absolutely not, that's not, we're not going to settle for you're depressed, take some Valium and go to bed. Like, that's just not going to be a thing. Um, but to me, like, especially after like even some ER visits that were like, oh yeah, you just have vertigo. Like here's some, here's some like IV fluid, like feel better. Like I was still like, okay, this is just my life now. Like I just have to be sick. That's just my reality. Yeah. Um, which is not the way that you should treat your body. If something is wrong, you should not just be like, well, okay, guess I'm just going to live this way because somebody told me that it's this. Like, that's just not acceptable. It's also a great way to like create depression in a person who wasn't necessarily (laughs) depressed, but you've given them that diagnosis. Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Not to say that no one diagnosed with depression is depressed. Many people are depressed. Uh, Just happens to not be what was going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, So did you end up getting the correct diagnosis when you had the MRI? Is that when you figured it out? Yes. Yeah. So after like a first ER visit that came back pretty inconclusive, um, my mom drove me back to the ER against my doctor's wishes <laughs> while she was literally on the phone with my doctor being like, I'm not going to listen to you. And I'm just like wigging out. I'm like, mom, you're being dramatic. Like, you know, I'm just like, oh, well, why are we going to the ER? Um, but we went back and thank God we did because we sat there and waited until they let us have an MRI. And they found the, the issue. Um, what was the initial question? Uh, I guess, um, how, how did you end up getting the correct diagnosis? Oh, yes. Or what was that process like? Yes. So we waited several hours. Um, and if you, if you go into the ER and you're not like bleeding, they're like, well, 
okay, sit tight, you know, like, <laughs> you're like, but something is wrong, I just don't know what. Um, so we waited, and we finally got the MRI, and then, even then they told us we could go home. After they said my head was bleeding, they said, yeah, you can go home, and my parents are like, no, we're not going home, uh, we're going to talk to a neurosurgeon who can tell us what's going on. Um, so then we stayed at the hospital, like, for the weekend, and, um, talked to an actual person who looked at the MRI to tell us what was going on. And you were feeling pretty bad leading up to this, right? Like, it wasn't just, like, uh, oh, like, my ear hurts. Like, you yeah. were pretty laid out, right? Yeah, and I think, like, the summer of, like, post-grad, I also gone through, like, a huge breakup, so I was depressed. That part was real. <laughs> Um, but I was like, I lost a ton of weight and, um, I was really, really tired and I'm like, oh, this is probably my thyroid. Like I also have thyroid issues. So mm -hmm. I'm like, same. Okay. Yeah. So twins. Yeah. So <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like, oh, you know, it's my thyroid acting up again. Like, you know, I guess this is just how it is, but no, it was like, how long were you, um, because I know about some of these answers because I read your book. Um, <laughs> were you out of work, like oh, staying home from work for a period of time before you got the diagnosis? Or um, was the diagnosis what caused you to stop going into work? Yeah. So I had about, I was five days, I did the five days of teaching. <laughs> then this happened. Then I was off for three or four days when I was like calling in to my teacher that I was yeah. working with. And I was like, something's wrong. I can't come in today. We'll figure this out. And then after the diagnosis, it was pretty clear, like, that I needed to be on bed rest. Mm -hmm. That was the answer. It was like, okay, well, this is what happened to you. Um, you should not do anything for who knows how long. Maybe, like, six weeks. We'll see. Um, so I just went home. Um, and luckily, I was living with my parents at the time. And so it was like, I didn't have to worry about <laughs> having someone come and stay with me. You know, I just was at home. And my parents, like literally set up a whole situation for me and were amazing. And I just watched a ton of Netflix <laughs> as my brain like deteriorated for like five weeks. Um, so I was not, I was not working for, for a while. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what do you know about like what your diagnosis was and how it came to be like do you know anything about like <sighs> yeah you know the best I can come up with <laughs> at this point is that when I was born when I was forming inside of my mother mm -hmm. uh, a clump of cells just didn't like unroll like unravel like you know like they all just kind of sprawl out like little neurons and cells just kind of go Shoo. Um, not that anyone can see what I just did with my hands but I went Shoo. Um, it was very evocative. <laughs> so I think, and they, they told me this, that when I was born, that it just didn't go and it just kind of stayed in a little clump and that clump was in my head my whole life. They think like there's no, we can't know for sure, but they think it was just sitting there chilling. Like there was nothing wrong. Um, and then my theory is that when I started teaching, my body was like, nope, you're done. And it just filled that little nugget up. And I was like, okay, what? Uh, what do you mean I shouldn't be a teacher? What do you mean it's too high stress? I don't know what you mean. Um, so that's the best we can come up with is that it was like um, something in, in there kind of forever that wasn't, uh, I can't pass it down to any future children. Mm -hmm. um, it's not likely to come back. It wasn't cancerous. Um, 
So, you know. Just a little fun surprise lying in wait in your brain. Yeah. Um, so it was like this clump of cells started to uh, uh, unfold. And then the, the hemorrhage is what they call it, like, when you start bleeding, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's had a fun, super fun brain bleed. Yeah. You know, I it was actually, like, kind of crazy because I'd never considered myself a stroke survivor. Mm-hmm. I just, I always use the word hemorrhage and I was like, it was so different. It was so like slow motion. It was a slow Mm -hmm. leak, Mm -hmm. you know, inside of this little structure. And thank God for that nugget in there. I mean, wow, because (laughs) strokes just like happen Mm -hmm. and they just, the blood just goes all through the brain and then it damages the brain and that's what's scary. And so for me, it was inside of my little nugget and it was causing um, swelling in parts of my, like all parts of my brain, I found out now, it's not just my cerebellum. It was kind of throbbing the whole deal. And, um, that's not good, but at least they could go in there and take it out. And a spoiler alert, (laughs) they took out the nugget. Uh, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so we can get there eventually. Do you have any sense of how common or rare it is to have something like you had? I think they told me it was like one in... A couple thousand. So not as rare I as like one not. might hope right. for a brain situation. <laughs> I actually have a friend now who had the same exact, um, yeah, hemorrhage. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So. Crazy. Not to freak anyone out. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it's probably, it's probably more likely that you will get bitten by a shark, maybe. Ooh. I don't know. Like, I'll have to have a shark bite survivor come on the show. <laughs> Um, so how long after your correct diagnosis was your surgery? Like you said, there was eventually surgery to take it out. The, the time between those two? Yeah. So I got the diagnosis, um, early September of 2014. And then, um, it was not until October 3rd, 2014 that I had my brain surgery. Mm -hmm. So I was on bed rest for about a month and... Um, they thought, the thought process was, go home, get some sleep, uh, walk it off, and hopefully uh, the blood will reabsorb back into the brain from wherever the heck it came from. <laughs> <laughs> That's my biggest question. Like, why did you go there? Um, so that was the hope that that was gonna, what was going to happen. There was going to be no need for surgery because it was kind of too dangerous to like go in there. Um, right. You don't want to mess with the brain if you can help it right. from the outside. Right. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, the swelling, the, the spot kind of grew and we didn't really, I, I suspected this, it was getting worse because for several weeks I, I wasn't able to walk. Um, my vision was double. Uh, I started kind of slurring my speech a bit. Um, and I kind of just looked like, I looked like I was having a stroke. It was just like, I lost 20 pounds. It was like, really intense. Um, but the moment that we kind of knew that things were like really serious and needed some intervention was when I, uh, couldn't taste. Ooh, weird. Yeah. So, which to me, I was like, oh, that's normal, right? People can't taste things all the time. And my family's like, oh my goodness, you are unreal. Um, so we had to call the doctor again and be like, okay, new symptom, uh, fun one. She can't taste. So that's not good. Um, so then they did a second MRI, um, like very beginning of October and they scheduled the surgery for like <laughs> three days away. So like, okay, brain surgery now. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's a problem now. We got to go in there and it's in a good spot now to take it out. So it was kind of perfect because it just like got into an ideal little area and they could just swoop in um, with their little scoop. Uh, <laughs> I'm so nonchalant about it and I shouldn't be. It's terrifying. Well, that's one thing that you talk about in the book is like how to balance um, not letting, you know, using humor to get through an experience without using humor to sort of ignore the experience. Um, and you especially talk about like that period in between finding out you were going to have to have surgery and having the surgery, which was only like a few days, mm-hmm. you said. Um, I thought it was so, you write so um, well about trying to balance those things, the like gallows humor with the acknowledgement of the the gallows. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And at the time I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even really know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah. brain was busted, but. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, Exactly. But I think like now as I have gone through the material and my life and what happened, uh, it was an extremely large, like, coping mechanism um, that was kind of, like, taken too far. Like, there were definitely moments when, like, my friends and family were like, oh, yeah, so she's fine. Like, she's obviously fine. Like, I had friends, I just found this out, like, a few weeks ago. Um, some of my best friends live in, in Minnesota, and I went down there for Same. a wedding. Yeah. I'm ah. from there. Oh, I think we talked about that once. Yeah. Um, so I was there for a wedding, and we're all just talking, and they're like, Yeah. We had no idea how close to death you actually were. And we didn't know that because, A, we didn't see you. No, it was kind of before we were, like, FaceTime. We weren't FaceTiming. Like, they couldn't see what was happening. Um, From my phone calls, you would think I'm just some chummy gal just sitting back, like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Just going on a couple walks and just power walking this thing out, you know? Um, And that's fine to have that perspective until it becomes, like, denial of, like, the fact that you're getting a brain surgery. And that's, like, pretty scary for, for anybody to think about. Yeah. I'm sure especially when you were, like, you were you 22, 23? 22, yeah. Yeah. Um, to have to acknowledge mortality at all at that age is, like, <laughs> I mean, for good reason, it's sort of, like, you're not developmentally there. Um, because you, you oughtn't be, right? Like, you shouldn't be having to deal with those kinds of issues when you're 22 because you're young. And mm-hmm. um, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but, yeah, you also, I feel like at that point in your life, at least for me, that was a point, and I'm still working on this, where you're, like, learning how to say, like, things are not great and I need help. Um, oh, yeah. In general, like, even if it's just that, like, you're overwhelmed at work, let alone if you're having, like, a major brain experience. Yeah, and I just didn't want people to worry, you know, I didn't want people to, especially for my parents, they had it worse than I did. Mm-hmm. I always say that. I'm just like, you guys went through a lot. Like, <laughs> me, <laughs> I, I was them fine. On <laughs> yeah. They would love it. And my, my mother is great. And my dad. Um, they're very proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, but, but yeah, it's hard for them even now, you know, when I do comedy about this or even just, but the first time my mother read my book, it's like, she had a really hard time with it because it was so close for her Mm -hmm. and it was so difficult. So, um, you know, everyone going through that and me kind of using that humor, like I asked my mom, I was like, did you like, 
do you think do you think my jokes were funny? Like, I'm sure you didn't, but like, what was going on? And she's like, well, I knew exactly what you were doing. I knew you were trying to cope and not freak out. And I had to hold it together. So I wasn't obviously going to like indulge in that humor with you. I wasn't going to be like, ha ha, you're right. Ice cream scoop, right? Just going in. Like, <laughs> she just couldn't, she could not physically do it, um, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah. Um, so once, so they, they went in with the ice cream scoop. <laughs> that is not what happened. JK, JK, JK. <laughs> you had brain surgery yes. with a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal was just to like take out that area. Yes. Or, yeah. So. And then how long did it take? I think the procedure lasted about four or five hours. Also, it's very interesting how everything went down because it took an extended amount of time because they couldn't like get me on an IV because my veins are like non-existent. (laughs) So they had to do all these different things to get like the right, just the proper like setup for the surgery, which I was like, I think I'd floated above my body at that point when it was real and it was actually like, here's a golden cap on your head, you know, stand here, pee in this cup, like, let's get you hooked up. Like, I'm just like, I'm not even a person at this point. I'm just kind of like a floating thing above myself because <laughs> it was so scary. It was so epically scary and it's, it's, it's crazy now even thinking about how scary it was. Um, but they couldn't even like get me hooked up to the IV so they had to get some guy with these like special goggles to like look to find my veins I'm like well I'm probably dehydrated like (laughs) you told me not to drink for 12 hours I'm guessing that's what happened that doesn't seem fair (laughs) that they make you not drink anything for 12 hours and then have to find your veins yeah they couldn't find my veins once after a spin class um well of course they couldn't (laughs) (laughs) it's not even nearly as bad um so not a not a short experience, um, but luckily, did, oh, that's a question I have: is did they put you under? Yes, oh yes. Um, but the craziest thing to me was that when I came to, um, uh, first of all, this is the this is so freaky, and I'm sorry for anybody. I'm squeamish, and I'm telling <laughs> you this, so just have faith. Um, I woke up and this kind of like tube came out of my throat. Like, I could, I could see that kind of happening, and I was, like, just coming to. And I had thought something went wrong uh, because I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'd, right. I'd signed some paperwork that was, like, if you die, do you want us to try to save you, like, resuscitate you? I'm, like, yes, please. <laughs> I'm 22. I'm, I would like to live. Um, but when I came to, I was, like, oh, my God, am I dead? Like, did I die? Like, what happened? Are you, like, is this going wrong? Am I waking up mid surgery because that would be freaky and I'm not ready for that and they're like oh you're fine you're alive you made it good job kid and I'm like uh are you sure and this is the afterlife like what's going on um so I remember everything uh coming too and then I went to the anesthesia room which is where they put people coming out of major surgeries on a lot of drugs uh-huh. and so I'm out of it I'm seeing double and sideways And I can't really, I don't know what's happening around me. All I know is I'm really thirsty and I'm like feeling great because I'm on all these drugs. Right. And all I hear is these nurses like yelling at this lady and I'm like, what is going on? And they're like, Helen, 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 sit down, Helen. What are you doing, Helen? And I'm like, okay, I can't see Helen because I'm seeing double and sideways and probably not at all (laughs) because my eye is probably gone. I don't even know what's going on over there. (laughs) And that's all I can hear. 
And I'm just like, okay, really? So I finally like try to find the nurse and I'm like, what is going on with Helen? Tell her to shut up. <laughs> Tell her to just get it together because I am trying to sleep. I feel great right now, but she's just ruining my post-surgery experience. <laughs> and they just start laughing. So I'm not, I'm not really sure if she's a real person, if she was a figment of my imagination. I have no clue. Uh, uh, lost in the fog of, of brain surgery and recovery. Yeah, if I ever meet her, though, I have something to say <laughs> to that one. Wait, you're a problem. Is your name Helen? We <laughs> yeah. have some stuff to work out. Um, I, this is obviously not anywhere near the same thing, but the only time I've ever been under anesthesia was when I had my wisdom teeth taken out. Yeah. And I do remember that it was much weirder than I anticipated, or more like when I came to, I thought I was great and normal and had full control of my faculties. <laughs> and I discovered later that I did not. <laughs> um, it's just, it's a bizarre thing about the brain and about drugs, like the difference between your perception of what's going on with yourself and other people's perception of what's mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. So interesting. Probably protective in yeah, some ways. For sure. Um, so once you came to, what is the recovery process like? One thing that I... Um, thought about reading your book is that we sort of from the outside think of it as like the discovery of the injury and the surgery is the thing but it seemed like in your experience really like the recovery lasted much longer and in some Mm -hmm. ways was more intense yeah I mean I think the brain surgery was the easy part (laughs) you know I mean that sounds insane (laughs) that sounds so crazy to say that but like when I when I was moved from you know just bedridden, like, ICU, you know, that, to actually, like, okay, well, now you can, like, sit up a little bit. Now what do you do? Well, you have to actually relearn how to walk because you can't do that. And you have to see the right way up again. And you need to be able to move your – like, I couldn't – so the craziest thing is nobody gave me a neck brace. Don't know why. Whoever's in control of giving the neck braces at the hospital, I want to talk to them. Helen. (laughs) It's probably Helen. (laughs) Because, I mean, they had to, I mean, think about it. They had to go in there. And so my neck, my head was just kind of like slumped over and I couldn't like do anything about that. I could like have someone kind of help me like put it back up on a pillow. Um, So that's where we're starting, right? Like that's square one. Can't hold your head up. Can't hold my head up. Great. Um, so after a couple days in the ICU, they took me, again, because of my mother campaigning for me, they were like, oh, you want to go home? I'm like, uh, well, I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm missing part of my brain. You tell me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, my mother had to, you know, talk some sense into people and they sent me to a rehab center in Aurora, Colorado, which is where I'm from. So it was in a great spot. And this was like the top of the line, like brain rehabilitation center. And I went there and the funniest thing is I didn't know what a brain rehab center was. I didn't know what to expect. I honestly know. I'll tell you what I expected. (laughs) I expected, (laughs) um, my grandmother, um, she was in assisted living before she passed and we'd visit her a couple times and assisted living is like kind of sweet. Like, at least the one that she was in, she had, like, this whole little uh, apartment and a nice bed and, like, a little Keurig. Like, she had the whole setup. And, like, then occasionally a nurse would come in and take her blood pressure and, you know, do all the hospital stuff. But it wasn't really a hospital. It Mm -hmm. was, like, 
a sweet pad. <laughs> I was like, great, let's go see grandma. Um, so that's where I thought I was going, <laughs> uh, which was not where I was going. I was going to a hospital. Um, so that was a really rude awakening <laughs> to um, me coming into it. another hospital after brain surgery. I was like, oh, you're here to work. Like, you are here literally to yeah. work and to, like, heal. Uh, which is a really tiresome process. Yeah. And the emotional just toll of that was the biggest thing. It was like every day I had a full schedule of like, okay, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. You squeeze breakfast, lunch, and dinner in there. You can have one visitor or maybe more, but don't get crazy because like your brain can't handle it. And like try not to watch TV and also stop texting. Like there were just like a lot of rules. Yeah. Um, which I followed, like, none of them, uh, because I was 22. Right. And I was like, I'm going to be on my cell phone all the time, even though I can't see. Like, that's what I'm going to do. What What was your um, perception of, like, how your brain was doing at that point? Um, it was really happening all so fast, but, like, during the day when I was going through stuff, mm -hmm. and I was trying to do these physical, you know, therapy activities... I was just, like, distraught. I was, like... Because it was so bad. Yeah, I couldn't do anything. You know, yeah. I went from, like, the first activity that I did with my physical therapist was to just walk over these, like, broomsticks in this little, like, tea pattern. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, <laughs> there's a really silly picture in the book, and I made it, so it's, yeah. Um, you can see it. But it's, it's just, you just walk over these broomsticks, and you get timed, and you just do that. It's, like, anyone can do that. Right. And she had to hold me up with, like, one of these gate belts is what they're called. It's just, like, a belt that you, like, latch on somebody so you can, like, move them around like a little puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and she had to hold me up the entire time. I'm, like, I can't see. I can't walk. My neck is, like, falling off my head. And I'm just, like, oh, my God, what's happening? And it took me, like, a full minute to do this thing. And so by the end of it, I was, like, well, A, I'm exhausted. B... Um, what is going on with my body? Why can't I do it? Like, my body should work fine. I can see all my limbs. I can, like, I want to move them. I just can't. Yeah. And that was the most infuriating thing was just, like, being that young and being previously that active. Like, I played ice hockey for, like, 10 years. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was about to run a like a half marathon. I was just, like, a very active person. And then here I am, like, in a hospital. Like, Nope. Can't even walk by myself. That is just pitiful. Um, so day to day, it was very difficult. Um, looking back on it now, two weeks in a in a hospital to relearn how to walk, talk, and see is phenomenal. Yeah, like two weeks. The brain is crazy. Um, the fact that that you can relearn those things at all is bananas, and um, the fact that it can be done so quickly. <laughs> Yes. And I will say there were, there were a couple months after the initial, like, leaving of the hospital. I was, uh, my family would drive me back to that hospital and I'd do, like, outpatient therapy stuff, mm -hmm. which they no longer do at the hospital, which makes me sad because mm -hmm. that was a big, like, part of it was mm -hmm. after I left, I could still go back and get more therapy. You know, mm -hmm. it didn't just end because I was able to walk out of the hospital. Like, I still had work to do. Mm -hmm. Um to be more coordinated. I think I'm still probably in the process of just like trying to see where I'm at. Like I'm four years out. I mm -hmm. still have like, my brain could still be growing in there. You know, we don't know. Um, so 
it's it's a long process of yeah. healing and I don't think it really ever ends. Did you feel this is a like a weird question to figure out how to ask it, but did you feel like yourself inside your brain as you were like talking to yourself during that time? Yeah. 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 Um like personality-wise? Yeah, I guess I, I'm just thinking about how like um our concept of who we are is at least for me is so bound up in sort of like the your thought process or like the life inside your brain I think you know especially if you're a creative person or a funny person or I mean I guess probably all people feel this way that like your idea of who you are in a large sense has to do with that sort of like constant running monologue or like the way you think about things um and all this other stuff about you had changed during that time or what your what your body and brain were able to do so I was curious if yeah, I guess sort of personality, but also just sort of like the life of your mind. Yeah, I think the hardest thing was like when the, my body was like downward spiraling, mm-hmm. um, my self-talk in my brain was a lot different. And it was not like, it was it was trying to cope with the funny stuff, but deep down to myself, the mm-hmm. thoughts that didn't leave my brain were like, okay, so what? This is your life? Like you lame disabled person like you can't walk you can't really see anymore like guess you're not gonna go on any more dates from now on like you're pretty lame I mean it was like really really bad it was Mm -hmm. hard because I was not used to not having control over my body when it was doing and Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what it was doing that was the thing too I was like so I'm still trying to figure out what happened (laughs) I'm just like what like for that to happen to your body so quickly, but also kind of in slow motion, is, like, very strange for the self and mm-hmm. how you identify. Like, the first time that I really felt like I was disabled was I was out with my mother, who felt bad for me, like, being in the house. This is before the surgery. And it, things were pretty bad. Like, we knew that it looked didn't look good. Um, and she, she wanted to take me on a little field trip. So we went to, like, a Kohl's. Are there Kohl's out here? Uh, I don't know, but I definitely know what it is. Okay. Because yeah, they have them in Minnesota. Store. Yes. So we went to a Kohl's um, in Colorado, and she wanted to buy me, like, a blouse, which I was like, when am I going to wear this? Like, <laughs> A, I could be dying. I'm not going to tell you that, but I think we both know. And also, like, I'm just wearing, like, sweatpants and, like, stained T-shirts right now. That's what I'm going to wear because I'm comfiest in that. Um, but she wanted to buy me, like, a blouse, so we went out and she helped me like put the blouse on that was like a thing and um and then we're just like hanging out and going to the cash register and the guy at the cash register um and I'm like trying to text as well (laughs) and my eyes are really off the charts here so I'm trying to text and I'm also trying to also maybe look up and make eye contact with him just because he's a person and I think I should do that so I'm like (laughs) Okay, and I'm struggling with this task of the eye contact and the eyeballs are doing kind of weird things. And he's like, oh, are you okay there? And I was like, it's fine, I just have a head injury. And he's like, oh, did you get that from too much texting? And of course I'm like, no, I just, my head's actually bleeding, sir. And then he just was like, oh my god, like, oh. like he just like turned gray. <laughs> my mother's like, okay, um, time to go. Like, <laughs> she's like, why did you do that? I'm like, I... And this is, in the, this is the beginning of that, you know. So I'm like, okay, he's looking at me weird because I'm struggling to look at him. And he says something, he thinks he's being funny to, like, be funny. But the truth is, actually, I have a head injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we leave, and we go to, like, a Panera Bread. 
Just easily the most stressful place for me to be at that point. Um, <laughs> too many choices. How many do I pick? Too much. And it was crowded. It was like lunch rush. It was crowded. And, you know, my mom just wanted to make me happy because she knows I love mac and cheese. Yeah. You know? um, bless her. And I was just so overwhelmed. Like, I couldn't. There were too many people. The sounds. My ears also pick up. Um, someone the other day called them microphone ears. Like, they pick up all this sound and stimuli that I never did before. Because hmm. you can selectively, like, choose kind of what you're hearing based on what's more important. And I couldn't do... I still have trouble with that. Um, so, I mean, it's like Panera Bread that's kind of like a NASA launch pad is how <laughs> I feel. And it's loud and I'm, like, dragging my left side of my body kind of through the place. And I'm like, oh, my God. If someone from high school sees me right now, I'm going to flip. Like, I... I'm not comfortable. I look disabled. I am disabled. And I don't want to be judged. I don't want to, I don't want this to be my life, you know? Mm-hmm. If this is what I have to be my whole life, like, wow. Like, that was just, like, not something I wanted to ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I can't remember what the question was. But... That's okay. I was just talking about sort of, like, how it affected your sense of self. Yeah, like, it did. Yeah. It, it just, it changed how I saw myself. It increased, like, my insecurities about myself, mm-hmm. which I already had a ton of, you know, as a 22-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really just changed how I saw myself for that time. And then while I was healing, it was also, like, well, how come you can't do this simple thing? How come you can't just, like, walk in a straight line? Like, that means that this is your life forever, you know, because you can't do that now. And that obviously wasn't the truth, mm-hmm. you know, because your brain is amazing. It can heal. So Yeah. Um, did it change how you feel about other people's disability? Because, like, it's so interesting hearing you talk about how you felt about, like, your own body I'm sure that you wouldn't look at someone else who was disabled and be like, oh, like your lame body or like, you know, why can't you just do that thing? And it makes me think about in general how even when not like recovering from injury, like we say things to ourselves that we would never say or expect of other people. Um, and I feel like you have a unique view into uh, what it is like to live with a disability because it happened at a time when you were adult enough to sort of like feel it happen and feel the difference. Right. I think I still have a lot of work to do, honestly, because yeah. I'm so privileged in that you would never know. Yeah. It's you like would never know invisible unless, disability. I, unless I told you what I went through. And some people are like, oh, your book's called I have a hole in my head. Ha ha. You mean like, cause you're strange. I'm like, no, literally it was, it's a hole. There's a scar. Like, you know, it's, I'm incredibly privileged because the nature of my injury and how I healed from it. A lot of people don't heal that way, mm-hmm. you know? And I I do notice it more, but I also forget my own past. Mm-hmm. Just out of, like, necessity to not feel traumatized all the time. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I just forget that I had a head injury, and then I just kind of continue on like a normal, like, person who can be kind of impatient sometimes. And I had a moment the other day, like, I went to coffee with my mom when she was in town, and... Um, Somebody at the front desk, uh, you know, was taking our order. And I said, oh, this is what we're going to have, you know, this and this. And then it was kind of an ordeal. And it was like, what kind of milk do you want with that? Okay, this one. Okay, what kind of milk? And I'm like, okay, this one. Okay, you got it? Like, all right, okay. And I got to this point where I was, like, impatient. Because I didn't even, like, realize that he was disabled. Mm. And my mom picked, I don't know, it's like, obviously I should. 
you mm-hmm. know. And it took me a minute and I sat down and I was like, oh my God, did I just get like impatient with that guy? Because that is wrong. Like that is like straight up wrong. And I still like feel things about that because um, there are so many people that don't have the privilege to just walk around and not look disabled. Mm-hmm. There are people that physically, like, their body didn't heal that way. So they do have a limp or they do have, like, they didn't get their muscle back from that. Like, I'm just a walking privilege. Like, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, what? Like, why? Okay. So I just have to, like, I really have to, I want to do better about that. And I think that I, I always get, like, conscious about this, too, because I don't ever want to claim that I'm, like, speaking for the brain injured community. Sure. Because, like, I am just one little person that went through something that was very privileged to not look like I went through that, you know? Well, in some Um, ways, you're, like, the luckiest person and unluckiest person. Like, no one would look at your story and be like, man, I wish I had (laughs) a horrifying brain injury and had to go through surgery and all of that recovery. Like, that experience is real. And also this other thing, which is that like you were able to, um, you know, have someone advocate for you and um, you were lucky enough to recover in the way that you have. And still, like you said, you're still dealing with all those things. Um, I think it's just it's a good reminder that um, that empathy doesn't equal perfection in how we act with each other. Yeah. And like all we can do is try to use whatever window we have into other people's experiences to like try to be as good to each other as we can. But like there is no like magic thing that makes you a hundred percent perfect to everyone all the time. Yeah. And I think <laughs> as long as we're like we're seeking to be better. Yeah. You know, like the fact that I just and like everyone else is a huge privilege, but it also I do need to purposefully remember what I went through and who I met along the way and mm-hmm. the people that helped me and where I was at because I know what it feels like to be that person who someone might be impatient with because mm-hmm. they're dragging their left leg around. You know, that was me. And mm-hmm. I'm sure someone could have looked at me and said something or I mean, someone did, you know, the yeah. guy <laughs> in the department store is like, ah, oh, well, you know. We're not perfect. Like, we make mistakes, and that's okay to make mistakes, but if you are not reflecting on that, then you got to. Yeah. Um, One thing that I really got a sense of from your book is how much your community and your family rallied around to support you. Um, What, I mean, this is probably a huge question, but, like, what kind of support did you need from your family and friends as you were going through. It seems like it was multi-layered. Yeah, you know, I needed a lot. Um, My family was just the ultimate, like, base that I worked everything off of. So everything that I needed, they catered to me. You know, I needed someone to get me an ice bag. I needed someone to help me up the stairs. I needed someone to, um, when it was really bad in the hospital, I needed someone to help me get to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. you know? I needed my mom to help me shower you know, at the initial start. And it's like, when your family is there for you at that point, it's like, you can pretty much do anything like (laughs) in the world. Because if you have that strong of a family that's there for you during that, you are blessed. I am blessed. 
Um, but what I needed from like my friends um, who were coming in was just to just be around me like they normally would, and they were. You know, they came they came to me in the hospital and in rehab and just did what we always did. We hang out, you know, and I can't do anything. I can't go bowling right now. <laughs> but, you know, we can talk about the drama that's, you know, in our little friend groups and we can um, take selfies. Although I didn't like to take a lot of pictures because my face had gotten so big because mm. I was on steroids. Um, so it was like a balloon, which they'd never said, oh, no, your face was not fat. Like, <laughs> it was. It actually was. Um, but I just needed people to be there for me um, and just, just exist in my same space. Yeah. Uh, what I had a small amount of was a couple friends who had been through head injuries. One in particular, um, Emily, I had gone to college with her and we used to play hockey together and she had a head injury. And when she saw my huh, kind of uh, coping like Facebook post that was like, I'm in the hospital, everything's fine, haha, brain surgery, right? Um, she reached out to me and was like, hey, I have had several brain surgeries and if you need anything we should talk because it helps a lot to have somebody who's going through that and I really aside from her I was like nobody knows what I'm going through yeah. not a single person that I know and so to have her reach out to me was like so so beneficial and that's like what I want for anyone who's going through that is to have like a source for that mm -hmm. um, because it's not really that common to be in your 20s and have a head injury. Um, the more that I've gone through and met community and people, I'm like, oh, it's a little more rare than it should, or um, common than it should be. Yeah. I'm meeting a lot of young people right now that have had head injuries, um, but it feels like you're the only one going through it when you are. Yeah. And maybe in your immediate stretch of people, you don't know people who have gone through it, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense that you would need different things from different people, like, not everyone is going to be the person to help you shower, but also like it is good to have those people who can for some period of time help you pretend that things are normal because to live in that space of like crisis 24 hours a day for weeks on end is super stressful. Yeah. 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 Um, this is a question that like maybe sounds flippant. But how has this experience changed uh, or affected your relationship to your body and to like the world of fitness? Because I know you said that like you play, you played sports a lot as a young person. I know that you were a runner. Um, you were out of commission for like sports for fun for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, how has that affected how you feel about those things now? So... Um... Initially, like when I started coming out of my recovery, my body had gone through a lot of changes. You know, dropping 20 pounds of muscle mass is like not the funnest thing. Um, and I was like so kind of wrecked by that because I was so prideful in like my body and what it was able to do. And so I actually did play a hockey game with my family um, like this, the winter after my so, like, October was ahead of the uh, surgery, so, like, December. So, only a few months wow. after my brain surgery. I got back on the ice in ice skates as a goalie, by the way. So, I had pads. I had plenty of protection. <laughs> um, but it, it was different. You know, my muscles didn't remember how to do that. They didn't remember. They just relearned how to walk. Yeah. You know, they don't remember how to play competitive ice hockey. <laughs> um, so, to me, I was like, 
oh, I don't like pox flying at my head anymore. You know, yeah. this could be it for me when it comes to that, at least for now. You know, right now it's too close. You know, I won't do it. Um, in terms of, like, after that, getting back into, like, fitness, it was very much, like, ease into it. You know, you've been through a lot. Like, just let your body kind of, like, reset itself. Mm-hmm. And my taste buds came back, too. That's great. So I ate a ton of food. <laughs> <laughs> and I gained weight back and um, started to kind of, like, get back to a base level. Um, now, like, four years out, I'm finally, like, oh, I'm not really content with how my body is. Mm-hmm. Like, it can do a lot more. It can get back to a, like, athletic level and a good spot, but that's going to take me a lot of love and care and, you know, positive work. Um, and re- acknowledging, like, okay, not that you have, like, an excuse because, like, you know, you just shouldn't, like, you shouldn't take on more weight than you should. But, like, you have been through a ton of trauma the past four years and your body just maybe needs, like, that much time to really be at its optimal level, right? Mm-hmm. So I work with baby, t- you know, baby hand weights now. I'm trying not to overdo it. Yeah. <laughs> just little baby steps. Just get in my arms, you know, and... um it's hard. It's like really, it's really tough when your body goes through that much change in mm-hmm. so little time. And then you're like, look in the mirror and you're like, do I like what I see? Like, eh, some days, but most not. And that's like a new thing for me because I never had that much negative like body image of myself. Cause I was always playing ice hockey. Mm-hmm. I didn't really eat healthy. Yeah. But also nobody taught me post surgery what to eat for my brain mm. that it needed Oh my God, I just learned about omega-03s, okay? (laughs) Literally, what in the world is going on? No one, I mean, they gave me a pamphlet with like pictures of vegetables on it. And they're like, good luck to you. And I'm like, (laughs) man, I should have like hired a nutritionist. I should have like, I mean, taken a cooking class or something. Like my diet was awful. And I think it was also like, I was tasting again. So like, maybe it was good that I was just eating bread and butter, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause like, that's a great thing to taste when your taste buds come back. Totally. Oh my God. Well, it's so interesting. Um, th- like you went through an experience that I think like on the taste side reminded you, like there is joy to be found in food. And when a physical thing takes that away from you and then you get it back, like what a joy to remember that like food can be about pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also on the physical side, like it's a very scary way to be reminded of this, but also I think one that like we can take a lesson from, which is we think about many of us spend so much time thinking about our body's size, our body's weight, all of those things um, can my, you know, can I run a marathon? Like when there's this whole backstory of things our bodies can do that if you lose those remind you that like, oh yeah, like being able to walk and like see, uh, not double (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the right, like not see sideways. All that stuff is really important work. My body is doing all the time that is like not to be taken for granted. And I don't know feels totally reasonable to be like, hey, buddy, good job remembering how to do all that stuff and figuring that out. Uh, we're going to cool it on the half marathons uh, mm-hmm. because, like, um, you know, being able to, like, be here and present for your life in your body is such a great thing that we take, and you know, take for granted all the time. Yeah, and I 
funny enough, like I was supposed to run my first half marathon like October 16th of 2014. I'd signed up for a half marathon in Denver called the rock and roll, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the same day I got out of uh, rehab. <laughs> so <laughs> not going to be running that. Um, and I actually, you know, canceled that. But then the following year, because I am like a very emotional being, I was like, I want to do this. I can do this. And so I signed up for that half marathon and I did it. Like a year after brain surgery, wow. I did a half marathon. And I cried like the entire time. <laughs> I was like, you can run, like you can do it. Um, and it was just incredibly emotional because yeah. not that long ago, I couldn't do any of these things. Mm -hmm. You know, um, am I gonna be able to like do the most all the time? You don't know. Maybe I do have some limitations now that I've been through this, and maybe that's okay. Totally. I don't need to like be a P90X. Yeah. You know, sport fit. Like, I don't need to have a six pack. Like, I would like to look nice and to feel sexy and nice, but, you know, no, yeah. I shouldn't do those. My head would re explode. Like, I shouldn't do a P90X class, right? Yeah, totally. And, like, guess what? That is true for literally all people. Like, you don't even have to have a brain injury to decide that you don't need to do P90X. That's an option available to all of us. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, uh, now I feel like I have to ask you the advice question because oh, you've yeah. been through an experience. Mm -hmm. So now we have to ask the advice. Um, what would you tell someone who, and I'm, it sounds like you maybe have been in this position, but what do you tell people who are in an experience similar to yours? Do you have like a big pieces of advice that you give to brain injury people? I would say just like take it easy on yourself because like when you're going through this stuff, you don't have that many options. It's like, mm -hmm. if you can just get out of bed every day, that is a huge accomplishment. Like, you know, I have friends who have had head injuries that are wanting to write books. I'm like, yes, you should, you know? Life is also very lifey. <laughs> and, you know, like, things happen and it's okay if you don't have that written. You mm -hmm. know, it's okay if it takes you a couple extra years, you know, if you need to work through that process. Um, just go easy on yourself because it just... And I need to take my own advice. Like, I literally reread my book and I was like, wow, okay, start actually doing that, you know, because it is so hard to hold yourself um, up to everything and everyone else. And especially when you're going through something like this, it's like, you know what? The fact that your brain is doing what it is right now is a huge feat. Yeah. And you're doing way more than whoever you're comparing yourself to on Instagram, whatever, <laughs> Facebook, somebody else got married. You know, I had a ton of friends getting married at the time that I had my head injury, you know, so little me is like, it's like, okay, come on, like, get off of it. Like, yeah. you're doing amazing things with your body and your mind, and now it's like, you just need to go easy. Just take it easy, um, and, and you'll be okay. Yeah. Do you have advice for people who are supporting somebody with a brain injury? That they also need support. Mm. You know, that they, and for my parents, it was like, you know, them calling their siblings or like, I mean, my parents being a great team, you know, had my parents like not been my parents, like it would have been way harder because they were a team together and they were there for each other when one of them was like, I mean, all the conversations that they must have had when I wasn't around about like, oh my goodness, is she going to die? Well, what do we do about that? We're not ready for that. Don't worry about that. Let's not talk about that. That's too much. Like 
they needed each other to go through that. And so, like, my biggest thing is, like, your support system also needs a support system. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sometimes that means, like, they need to go and take a walk by themselves. They need to go, like, get their nails done. Like, go let her do what she needs to do. You'll be fine on the couch watching Netflix. Like, let your caregiver or whoever is taking care of you, like, they need their own Mm self-care. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that because they're supposed to be the ones, like dealing with everything Mm -hmm. um but my parents really were just trying their very best to take care of me and we're doing everything and I don't think they like had enough self-care in the process Mm -hmm. that's great advice for anyone who's who's caring for anyone I mean that can be true or I think is true for people who are like caring for an older parent or um yeah that like finding ways to care for yourself helps it be sustainable long term yeah um so the book is available. Yeah. Um, people can get it at uh, Amazon and other bookie type places. Yeah, bookstores. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, Animal Media Group is the publishers. You can go on animalmediagroup.com. Um, they sell all their books directly from their site, and you can also find it in bookstores. And we'll link to it from our show notes and stuff, so you'll be able to uh, find it. Um, and also, you have a podcast. Yeah, I do. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to promote your podcast? Yeah, it's called Mimi and the Brain. And it's kind of an offshoot of the book where I actually talk to neurologists and brain scientists and uh, psychologists. And I uh, pick their brains about the brain in their field of expertise. And it's quite delightful. Uh, it's funny because it's me. And uh, it's, it's cute. I like it. I'm proud of it. Nice. Yeah. Um, if people want to find it, where should they go? Uh, MimiAndTheBrain.com. Is that where they, uh, where should people find you on the internet in general? Uh, you can find me at Mimi Hayes Brain on Instagram, or you can link to the Mimi and the Brain on mm-hmm. Instagram. Um, so we are on all available um, podcasting sites and awesome. you can subscribe and listen, Apple iTunes, the whole um, deal. And you perform comedy in New York. Yeah. Um, is there, if people want to see you live, is there a way to find you? I'm sure you can find me in any, <laughs> in any dark corner of New York City. <laughs> um, if you are on my website, uh, MimiHayes.com, I post like where I'll be doing shows. Also Instagram, Mimi Hayes Brain. Um, I'll post where I'm doing shows that week. Um, yeah. Great. Um, well, Thanks so much for coming on the show. It was great to talk to you. It was great to read your book. Um, And uh, if we have listeners out there with brain injuries, give us a holler. Let us know uh, what what your story is. Um, Yeah, slide into the DMs. That's right. Yes. Thanks, Mimi. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes, help subscribing, and to become a patron of the show, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.